0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, June the 14th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If I'm not on one, I'll try to get on one. And if you want to interact with the show directly, Mike Silva at com. No G, Mike Silva at com. Welcome in everybody to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. A beautiful Sunday here in New York, almost uh, as I'm out and about earlier today, enjoying the weather. I'm almost uh, hoping that there was a ball game. And I know that a lot of you are probably uh, involved in debate, whether it be on social media or with your friends or you're listening to it on the radio or interacting on Twitter about what's going on between the players association and the owners and whether or not there'll be a baseball season and you know what that season will entail. And I know that that's probably the hot topic that I should be covering here in this podcast. And we've talked about it. We've talked about it all the way to the beginning of the lockdowns and the pandemic about what a season would look like and how many games. And I'm going to take a step back from all that. Cause I have a lot to say about the negotiations and where you are. And I know in the backdrop of all this is also this burgeoning little situation with uh, the potentially there being some sign stealing and the Yankees involved and a judge taking away the redacted part of the Yankees' involvement with this lawsuit regarding fantasy sports. And I know that that is out there, and I know that that's gotten a little bit of, of publicity. But I really wanted to stay away from this and really get back to baseball and get back to talking about the Mets and the Mets organization. Because as I was... And, and I'll talk to you about another great podcast that I was on, and I've been mentioning over the last couple of weeks you know, some of the other outlets that I've been humbly been invited to, to to take part in their own podcast and give my opinions on the game and the Mets. I felt that I'm rusty about the team because everything that we've talked about is either a look back or about the baseball season and the labor strife and the health protocol and all stuff that, let's face it, none of us, you, me, anybody listening, whether whatever side of the aisle we are and anything that relates to the game and and where we see labor negotiations or where we see health and security, I think we all agree that we, we listen to this and you come here not to hear the opinions on that, but to hear about the team. So I wanted to take a step back because I think more news will come out in the next day or so about what kind of baseball season There will be, there's a deadline by the Players Association on Monday, that's tomorrow, and we'll see what the owners come back with in terms of are they going to enforce the season and what have you. So, I'm happy to have, and you'll hear, I had a chance to catch up with him earlier today, our good friend, I go to him every year around this time. We had the Major League Baseball draft just a few days ago. Mets, by all accounts, had a great draft, another draft where Brody Van Wagen and his team went for the Fences and swung uh, really much for the home run and and came away with some really interesting gems. So, uh, Joe DiMaio, uh at PSL to Flushing, uh, contributed to SNY.TV, the seven line. He's the guy for better part of well over a decade I've been going to to get my take on what he thinks about not only the the draft player development the Mets farm system. And he's not just writing opinion based on looking at numbers and being passionate about prospects. He actually is talking to scouts. He understands how um, you know all of this works. He understands what organizations look for and, and, and how they grade players. So there's a lot to that when it comes to evaluating uh, the draft. And I thought we'd take a position and really discuss not only just the draft and this year's 2020 Mets class, but scouting, the draft, and then player development because all of those connect together. And I think everybody focuses on with Brody Van Wagenen since he took over, the Jared Kelnick trade and how the Mets don't have Jared Kelnick. And I think the perception of the organization and the way that they're evaluated, not only from our prospect rankings, but about how they're doing in those areas of scouting, player development, drafting, are impacted because of one trade a trade that I still think the jury's out about how it impacts the Mets in the moment. There's no doubt long-term you'd rather have Kelnick, but not every decision's made just about the long-term or in a vacuum. It's about where the team is in their arc of competitiveness. So Joe and I will get into that. We'll talk about this year's draft. There's some really exciting players. looks like the Mets were able to get players that, uh, especially uh, uh You know, because of injury that dropped to them or maybe toolsy players that they didn't think were going to be available. So they really went for the home run. It's a different draft, five round draft. Uh, A lot of uh, non-drafted free agents will be available as of now, as of the recording of this and my conversation. I haven't heard of the Mets signing anybody. And there's been some talk with those who I know in the game that maybe they'll be a little bit. uh, They'll not be as aggressive with that in terms of the non-drafted free agents, more focusing on the upside of their top three or four picks and really trying to get those signed, go a little bit, and it probably really require them to go over slot and allocate the majority of their money to those players. And it's a form system that I think between what they did last year with Matthew Allen and, and going after a guy that they were competing against the university and they had to overpay potentially to get him, I think that they've really done a lot to increase the upside at the uh, in terms of the type of players that they have in the system maybe there's not the overall volume of players in the system but I think you have some really interesting arms some players that have some tremendous upside that could help this team and not too distant future some of them I think will be here sooner than others so uh, we'll talk about that and of course there's the player development you know the Mets have had some players the McNeils and the Alonzos that have come through this system and maybe they've lacked on some depth from you know Positions 15 to 25 on the roster at times. Maybe they've been disappointing in the bullpen for sure when it comes to development. But the Mets have developed some really good, especially offensive players with Alonzo and Conforto. And I think Nimmo's coming into his own. McNeil, they acquired JD Davis. Dom Smith seems to be evolving into an interesting piece, albeit one that may not fit unless there's a designated hitter in the National League long term. So we'll get into that. Let's talk about the Mets, the Mets organization. And I really think. Most importantly, you have to start giving Brody Van Wagenen credit. He's doing a nice job. He's doing a nice job with the draft. I think he's put together an interesting team there in the front office, a lot of collaboration, a lot of -of out-of-the-box thinking, and really an aggressive go-for-it mindset that, yes, you're going to get burnt, and maybe they get burnt with Kelnick, but you're going to win a lot of those, and you're going to come up big. And when you do great things like win a championship, it's bold moves that are at the forefront of that. Any championship team, if you go through it, there's some bold moves. And I don't think you could deny that the Mets have the right GM to make those bold kind of moves. So let's take a quick break. When we return, Joe Sny SNY.TV, at PSL to Flushing. We're going to talk Mets drafting, player development, scouting, all sorts of things. They're going to get to the weeds when it comes to the team. Really get into the nuances right after this. Do you remember the Sports Illustrated April Fool's Day hoax about the Mets signing Sid Finch? Jay Horowitz, former director of public relations, discussed it and his role during an appearance on the Talking Mets podcast.
2: In the winter of '85, the spring of '85, Frank Cashier was our GM at the time. We get a call from George Putin and Mike Mark Mulvay from Sports Illustrated. We had this idea that the Mets were going to sign this six-foot-six. Tall skinny guy who threw a 190 mile an hour fastball. He came from some far off country, and it, the, the story broke on April 1st, 1985. And the first paragraph of the story it detailed, "This is an April Fool's joke." But people didn't, you know, pick up on it. And uh, uh, you know, the late Mount Sardar, we had a lot of fun with when, when the story came out. We we had a, a pitching cage in St. Petersburg. And uh, we, we said we were, Sid was warming up there, and we came out and have a press conference. And we belted, built burnt a hole in the glove of Ron Reynolds, one of our catches at the time, because this was Sid's um, fastball, and you know we, the players were attuned to it. And I remember, the day the story came out, I got a call from one of the editors of the uh, of one of the New York papers for you, yelling at me, "How can I give this story to?" Uh, a weekly Magazine, we covered the Mets Daily. You should have given it to everybody. I said to the guy, wouldn't you be upset if you had a good exclusive like that? And I, and I told you after other papers. But we kept it going for a day or two. And was finally, and, you know, people, you know, understood it was no Sitch Fitch. But, but it was fun and wild lasted.
0: Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. Joining me, and it's that time of the year again. Our good friend from SNY.TV, TV, the Seven Line. You can probably find him at a ballpark near you when there is baseball. Joe DeMeo. You can check him out on Twitter at PSL to Flushing. There's nobody better that I go to for minor leagues or draft. It's Joe DeMeo, and Joe, welcome in. And this has been probably. Uh, And you've been doing this. I remember meeting you, and I always tell this story once a year, and I'll tell it again, and you probably hate it. I meet you on AOL Instant Messenger, what, 15, 20 years ago, and you were always into this draft, even when it wasn't popular. This is probably the most unique season because most kids aren't playing. You can't really go by numbers, even though you really shouldn't 100% go by numbers. There's only five rounds. There's all these undrafted free agents uh it's it's a wild wild west of drafting this is probably a first for you so for how you doing and and crazy times here even in the draft world
3: yeah I'm doing great appreciate you having me like we do every year like you said uh yeah definitely one of the weirdest drafts that I've I've, uh, covered the first draft that I wrote anything about was 2004 when the Mets got Phil Umber number three overall and uh yeah it's, it's been Awesome to do to cover for you know this is my seventeenth draft and yeah seeing a five round format it's not something I ever expected to see uh, but certainly with the elimination of a couple minor league teams per organization and who knows if after next CBA it might even go further than that but you know it, it's leading to a lot less players and the draft going forward is going to be shorter I don't know if it'll be ten rounds going forward or maybe twenty uh, but. Five was just this crazy year of no baseball and they just how, how they decided to do it. And MLB could have just, just kind of decided that's what it was going to be. But it seems like going forward to expect between 10 and 20. The days of the – I mean, I covered 50-round drafts for years. 40 rounds was a change for me. And the days of the 40-round drafts are 100% over.
0: Yeah, I always compare it almost to like the NBA where you have – First round, second round. Back in the day, the NBA had multiple rounds. And then once those guys get drafted, then it's all about the free agents, guys who tend to go to Europe or, or the G League. And, and, and not that baseball will go that route, but let's face it. You're now going to have to look at all these young guys, undrafted. Um, I'm sure if they're in high school, they're, they're going to go into college for the most part and compete for them. And it'll be about what organization gives you the best opportunity. It's going to take a lot of uh, work by your, your scouting team. And uh, it's going to be a lot different. It's going to be a lot like the other sports in a lot of ways. Don't you agree?
3: Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really a recruitment at this point, right? Cause they didn't, they set a max of $20,000 that you could give to any undrafted free agent. So it's not like the Yankees could come in and offer a hundred grand and outbid you. No one could go higher than 20. So it's, a recruitment, which is very interesting because, you know, a lot of these kids are going to sign. It started at 9 a.m. Eastern today, so an hour ago is when it was open. I haven't seen any circle through yet, but I expect you'll see a bunch come through today. But a lot of these kids are going to be signing our college seniors, so they did recruitment a couple of years ago, and they're doing it again. Um, but it's it's going to be a lot about relationships that are built, which it, it almost plays in the draft too. Like I tell the story, uh, I'm sure I told it here, Uh, last year Matthew Allen the Mets third round pick uh, John Updike who was a scout for the Mets and now he left and he runs baseball cloud like a baseball technology kind of business so he left scouting Uh, he built a relationship with Matt Allen and his family back to like his freshman year of high school so if Matt if it were this format and somehow he went unsigned and was signable for whatever you know he'd have that relationship with John and that's what really you're going to see a lot of people sign. And I bet when you see quotes, you'll see, oh, it's the relationship I had with so-and-so area scout for the last four years. They built a relationship with me and my family. Uh, So I think that's going to play a big part. And like you said, all right, I'm a pitcher. What organizations best develop pitchers? Or do you consider, I'll go to this team that's really bad because there's less to battle through to get to the major leagues. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. So it's, it's going to be an interesting dichotomy of what these players choose to do and their reasoning uh, to sign places. But you'll see you'll see a flurry of activity. Like you said, probably no high schoolers. You might catch one or two that just don't have any interest in college and just will take 20K and just go try to play. But I think it'll be primarily college seniors. A couple high school kids trickled in, a couple college juniors trickled in. But I think you'll see – the other players kind of go back to school for their senior year or head off to college.
0: If you don't follow Joe DeMay on Twitter at PSL to Flushing, I don't even know if Twitter's the cool place to be, but that's where you'll get a lot. SNY.TV seven line. If you do a seven line outing, when they come back, you'll probably see him at one of those back in the day, Joe. And it's money is still part of what we just talked about. Cost certainty is what the teams want. That's why they're basically cutting down the draft, getting all these caps on non-drafted free agents. Uh, but back in the day, you know, as you started covering the uh, the draft, it was about money. The Yankees could go out, pick guys that they knew they could, you know, uh, give a ton of money. Yeah, commissioner's office would look down on it, but nobody could do anything about it. Uh, the Mets used to you always stay within slot. So if the commissioner's office said, hey, round three, this is what you should pay, they didn't want to go over. It's a little different now, and I think that plays into draft strategy. Certainly with the Mets under Brody Van Wagenen and his scouting team, and we'll get to that because I think that they've shown that that's a good group, at least in this uh, facet of the organization. So money plays into it now, but it's a little bit different, and I know a lot of the the fans out there who may not be as uh, nuanced about the draft may not understand it. So give us a little idea, how does the money play into it, even now, uh, last year, even into this year, with the five rounds and, and slot and what have you.
3: Yeah, it's funny. Like back in the day, they used to give out major league contracts to these kids out of college. So they'd get big signing bonuses, and then they'd be immediately on the 40-man roster. So imagine, like, Mets first-round pick this year, Pete Crow Armstrong. Back in the day, he could have said, if you take me, I need a major league contract to sign. <laughs> and imagine that happening now. Uh, it would never, never happen. Think
0: Todd Van Poppel sure. fell into that, if I'm not mistaken. I have to go back Yeah, Todd Van, but, sure but Todd Van Poppel. If I remember, Todd Van Poppel was that yeah. first, uh, and this is going back to yeah. 1990, that first kind of, yeah. like, Boris client, where that whole, you know, give me big money, really I I remember the first time it came into play.
3: Yeah, no, you're right about Todd Van Poppel. He was was one of the first ones, and he was going to be a mega ace, and obviously that didn't quite work out. But, yeah, it's funny that at one point it was major league deals. But nowadays it's not how it works anymore. But there still is some slot value per se. So each pick in the draft – so there was 160 picks in the draft this year. Picks one through 160 all had a suggested slot value. So, for example, number 19 overall for the Mets, their first round pick, has a suggested slot value of $3,359,000. And your bonus pool that you get is just the sum of all your picks' slot values. So, the Mets had $7,174,700 in their pool this year. So, they're allowed to spend up to that with zero penalty you can go up to 5% over and you would just get a 75% tax on how much you went over. And if you wanted to go to 10% over, which no one does, you sacrifice your next first round pick. So no one will ever do that. But the Mets went a little over last year. They got to that 5% last year uh, because of how much they had to pay Matthew Allen, who I mentioned before. And, you know, they, they might have to go over again this year uh, because their second round pick JT Ginn is going to require first round money. Um, He was injured. He got Tommy John surgery this spring, but he's he's still going to require first round money. So they might go over again, but there's at this point, it's a suggested slot value and you're allowed to go over. There's just certain penalties for certain
0: percentages you go over. When you look at the Mets draft strategy, it's clear over the last two years, it's been going big, going for upside. Uh, even if it means that you sacrifice the later rounds, and I think in this year, mm-hmm. if you look at rounds four and five, maybe even three, because, uh, you know, the Mets had the sandwich pick for for Zach Wheeler, so they had an extra pick this year. They really went in on the first two, maybe the first three, and there's two things it seems like they're looking for. Obviously, arms. You saw that last year, and they're looking. Last year, it was about power with Brett Beatty, but now there's a profile where, and if you listen, when Brody Van Wagenen took over, he did like defensive-minded, athletic, toolsy players. He mentioned that very early in his first uh, you know, interviews when he took over the job. And with Pete Crow Armstrong and Isaiah Green, Isaiah Green much more rough, it seems, in terms of his progress. Exactly what they did. Both guys who could pick it, have you know, good tools with the arm. You know, we'll see how they turn out as hitters. But is, you know, that's what, I guess, from an organizational standpoint, that he felt they need, or do you think that that's the kind of profile going forward that under this, uh, you know, scouting department that the Mets may be looking at?
3: Yeah, I think th- they definitely focus on athletes this year. That's, that's what it came down to. Like you said, with Pete Crow Armstrong for my money, he's the best defensive outfielder in this draft college high school. doesn't matter for me. He was the best defensive outfielder. He can play center field in the big leagues today. That's his defensive prowess. Offensively, like you said, he, he does need some work. However, he has a very nice swing. Uh, it's a contact-based approach right now. He did fill out some this spring, and there was optimism that he was going to really show some power this sw- uh, this spring, and you certainly saw a couple highlights, I'm sure, on Twitter. But if he doesn't develop power, I still think you're looking at a leadoff hitter guy that can play gold glove caliber center field and steal you 25-30 bags. Uh, super exciting player. I, I think the Mets, he was he was on their radar. I I really did think they were going to be going high school bat at number 19, unless you know one of the really high-end college arms fell. But I knew they were leading high school bat with the idea that they would get pitching after. And high school bat's really been one of their priorities dating back to 2010. I mean, Dom Smith, Brandon Nimmo, Gavin Shakini didn't work out. Brett Beatty, Jared Kalnick, Pete Crow, Armstrong. So they're, they're certainly invested in the high school bat early. That's the philosophy that right now they like to carry as a scouting department, and Brody is obviously in agreement. And then with Isaiah Green, like you said, tremendous athlete, really a pop-up player, which I didn't expect you'd see many of those this year because there was no high school season. Uh, you know, a pop-up player basically means someone that came out of nowhere. And Isaiah Green kind of did. He – really got the eye of scouts when he was playing on the scout team against Team USA. So he didn't make Team USA, but he played against them, and he just dominated. Uh, he's been producing loud contact this spring. Uh, his athleticism is incredible, plus runner, plus defender. Two, They got two guys that I think can play center field long term. Green's bat is certainly much more raw than uh, Pete Crow Armstrong's is. But, again, that, this is another – go-for-it move. Like you said, that's what Brody has emphasized. You know, quality over quantity, so to speak, where you know, not, obviously not dinging the other players they drafted last year, because I still think they have other big leaguers that they drafted, notably Jake Mangum, the, the fourth rounder last year. But for the most part, they certainly planned their draft around Brett Beatty, Josh Wolf, Matthew Allen last year. And this year, I think it's the same thing with Pete Crow Armstrong, JT Ginn, Isaiah Green. And, you know, we'll see what Anthony Walters, Matt Dyer, and Eric Orsi end up, but ultimately you you could tell it was clear as day that their draft was based around those three.
0: The Mets scouting department has had changes since back when Alderson was here, but there's still a lot of holdovers here. And if you even go back to Nimmo, Kelnick, guys they pick in the the first couple rounds, makeup is such a big thing. And when you look at Armstrong and there was a great piece, if you guys subscribe to the Athletic, which they, they yeah. essentially sat with Armstrong during the draft. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, at least from the piece, the way it was uh, described, very mature for an 18 year old. You know, talking about things like mindfulness, social issues, things that an 18 year old tends to stay away from. Or if you go back in their history, they say a lot of stupid things. Uh, his, yeah. his mom was an actress. She was in a, in a popular kids' uh, baseball movie, Little Big League. So he's, uh, he's been in the deep end of the, uh, the life pool with the kind of parents he has, but being a baseball player from day one, I think they focus on makeup. I mean, two-part question, really. I think the Mets uh, scouting department uh, is underrated because I think they've done a good job, even if they've had uh, maybe quantity at certain points in the last 10 years over quality. Yep. And, and they do seem to focus on makeup a lot. Uh, over the course of the last decade as well. Going back to Nemo, who has great makeup, even though everybody at that time was questioning how can you take a kid out of Wyoming hitting out of a barn in the middle of winter. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit.
3: No, yeah, makeup, makeup has always been a priority. And uh, speaking to you know, some scouts, certainly within the organization and outside of, uh, it's one of the things that people always say, makeup is the thing that we can't teach you. If you need some work with the bat, we can help you get better. If you need some work in the outfield, we can help you get better. If your mindset is not right, there's nothing we can do to help you with that. You know, there's sports psychologists, yada, yada. But for most part, if, you, you, if that's a thing you kind of have or don't have at Pete Carole Armstrong clearly seems to have it. Like you said, he, he's a, he's a mature 18 year old and he had to mature on the baseball field at a young age. Cause he started playing with team USA at 12. So this is a kid that's been yeah. on the radar for a very long time and he's certainly been a center of attention at a premier high school at Harvard Westlake in California. So no makeup is a big thing and scouts look for it a lot because you're, you're trying to find the unteachable traits. That's really what it comes down to. Show What, what do you have that we can't teach? So that's whether that's makeup off the field or you can't teach a, a guy to throw a hundred miles an hour, or you can't teach a guy to be fast enough to steal 50 bases or, you know, things like that. But, um, yeah, it's one of the unteachable traits that certainly people look for, and it helps with maturity and the player development process.
0: You know this better than everybody. It goes back to when you met Wilmer Flores as a 16-year-old down in Port St. Lucie, and we heard about Wilmer Flores a long time, way before he was crying at, uh, on the infield, way before the, the game-winning home run. It seems, you know, Brandon nimmo too. It seems like Brandon nimmo has been with the team a thousand years. Steven Matz, a thousand years. They have, even though in, from a big league perspective, it's not that long. Pete Carl Armstrong, being in the kind of era we are with coverage of the team, uh, guys like you, you know, shows like this, they're going to get focus. They're going to get attention. Here's where it's tough for him, not just because it's the Mets, because now he plays the outfield. Jared Kelnick is a controversial uh, name because of the trade and my fear is is that everyone's going to compare Kelnick to Armstrong that's unfair different players and almost he's going to be looked at because that's what we do well that's going to be the Kelnick replacement we need to replace Kelnick Kelnick's gone and and we have a lot of people mainly the media has, haven't gotten over it maybe some fans too it would be unfair to put Armstrong in that category and I I worry a little bit about that that because of Kelnick and because everybody wants him and because he's so close to the big leagues he would have probably been up this year if there was a season even if there is a season I don't think he's gonna be up um that's that's the part I worry about a little bit for this guy
3: yeah no it it, I've I've certainly seen that come across my Twitter feed you know because obviously I tweet out the pick and all my thoughts and I look at some of the responses and some of them I don't but I definitely saw some people. Ah, oh, the Jared Kelnick replacement. And, you know, that's that's not fair to Pete. Uh, he's he's certainly his own player. They're very very different, like you said. And you know, it's one of those things that welcome to New York kid. That's that's going to be part of it. You're going to see people write about it, the Kelnick replacement. I'm sure there's going to be articles written by someone about it, right? Um, but that's not what that's not what he has to worry about. He just has to worry about doing his thing. But hey, welcome to New York. That's part of it, right? There's always going to be somebody writing an article saying something like that or something to ding you down when you're in a cold, cold stretch, call you a bust or things like that. So, you know, it's, it takes, it takes a special mental toughness. I don't think people appreciate just going through a New York team's minor league system. So that's before you even get to the show in New York where obviously pressure is monumental, but coverage of New York minor league teams, same way. I mean, there, there's a lot of pressure, right? I've been in minor league parks a million times and when the Mets are in town or the Yankees are in town, those teams, that's when the media swarms. But if I went and watched the blue Jays team come to town, then nah, eh, you know, there's no one there caring to cover it. It's just, so he, he'll be, he'll be handling media stuff from the word go. And there'll be some Kelnick stuff, but I urge him not to worry about that and just be his own player because They're in very little ways. Similar.
0: And remember something. And we won't, there will not be a minor league season this year. I can't see a minor league season.
3: Mm-hmm. No, But probably next
0: not. year, there will no longer be the B-Mets. The B-Mets are gone. Uh, whether you like it or agree mm-hmm. or disagree, the B-Mets are gone. And right now it appears Brooklyn will be the Mets double-A team. Think about what that creates now for these kids because yeah. Brooklyn is in the middle of it all. I mean it's been that place mm-hmm. that we go to because it's Brooklyn – but it's been rookie ball, right? I mean, most of the guys, very few, are going to ever go off, stay on your radar after that first year. Yeah, you have your, uh, you know, Angel Pagans and what have you. But for every one of those guys, there's tons that maybe you know from watching the game or if you're a big Cyclones fan because you're a season ticket holder, you'll remember those guys. But it goes away quick. Um, you know, I, 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 you, it's just, just the way it works. Uh, now you're going to see these kids come through right in the shadow of city field. That's going to create a whole new component because double a ball is a whole different thing than short season rookie ball.
3: Yeah, no, it is. And you know, for, it's a bummer. Cause you know, I love Binghamton um, or at least going to the stadium there and uh, you know, covering Binghamton has always been something I've done. So it's definitely weird that it, that it's going away and it's unfortunate for that community, but for the long term, I think Brooklyn's like a much better home for Double A. They they sell, they do amazing job selling tickets in Brooklyn for A ball, like you said. But now imagine Double A ball, they're going to crush it in ticket sales when when minor league baseball. you never going to get back. a ticket.
0: You're never yeah. going
3: to get a ticket you, there. For the you're going to struggle years. to get a ticket for sure. And then you are looking at okay. This lineup that's here, a percentage of the people in this lineup are going to play for the Mets, whether in a big way or a little way. Whereas, like you said, in Brooklyn, there's, of course, the first round picks out of college end up there. So you see those guys play. But for the most part, it's a lot of you know lower draft pick college players that maybe flame out by double A. But now that it's double A, I think it's for the long term, I think it's a, it's a better move. and. One that I think fans will appreciate a lot more because, like you said, it's right in the middle of everything, and you're on the cusp of the big leagues, and you're in the city that you're about to play in. Different borough, but you're in the city. So how many other teams are going to be able to say that? I don't think any.
0: No, not not at all. Joe DeMeo at PSL to Flushing, SMY.TV. You can get his stuff over there. Great guy to follow. Uh, Not only does he cover the draft, he's not just looking at numbers. I mean, I know he's, you know, tracked these guys down on social media, had conversations with them, you know, talking to scouts. This is not, you know, just because it's not a big name on ESPN doesn't mean you shouldn't be listening to him. Uh, For me, you know, as as excited as you can be about a a toolsy first round pick out of high school uh, like Armstrong, JT Ginn to me is the one that could really change the draft. Just like Matthew Allen, who you mentioned earlier, uh, could change the Mets draft from last year. The Mets have been built on pitching. And I think we see, and tell me if you agree, a transition ever since McNeil and, and Alonzo. And even if, let's see, if Dom Smith could stick around, you got J.D. Davis, Nimmo, Conforto. The Mets have a very good core of offensive players now, young, either in early prime, in prime. They're not 34, 33-year-olds. These are guys that could be around next five, six years. The pitchers, on the other hand, Not so much. You know, you could basically have Jacob deGrom, and that's it within the next two years. So you're going to need pitchers filling up the pipeline. It's expensive to sign all of them as free agents. I understand the free agent market will probably be depressed, not probably, most definitely in the near term. But with Matthew Allen and J.T. Ginn, and Ginn coming off of Tommy John surgery, he may be the guy that could come to the big leagues a little little quicker. You may have stolen in J.T. Ginn a first-round top-ten pick uh, in the second round, uh, because of an unfortunate situation, which is an arm injury, uh, I've seen some reports that say at the worst, you could get a bullpen arm out of him. He's a guy who throws hard, has a nice slider. I know that I, I hate always the comparisons because they could be lazy, just like we talked about with Armstrong and Kelnick, but they have to say they put Zach Wheeler's name out there. Again, there you go, trying to use a guy yeah. that people wanted to stick around who's not here anymore and giving this kid a label. Uh, JT Ginn to me is the exciting name in the draft, the guy that most I'll be looking forward to seeing when he starts pitching probably next year, if he signs. So twofold, is he going to sign or you have concerns about that? Number two, um, what do you think about that as the far as the, you know, the real upside pick in the short term and maybe overall being this, uh, this, this pitcher, this hard throwing pitcher, right-handed pitcher?
3: I would not have concerns. I, JT Ginn will be in the Mets organization. I'd be very surprised if it didn't happen from what I'm being told. So I think they Brody worked that out and, you know, Tommy Tanis and the scouting staff, they they worked that out beforehand. So I, I wouldn't have any concerns. I think he will be joining the organization. Uh, So that's first. Um, What's an interesting thing. So I was talking to a scout about him and we were talking about, you know, no minor league baseball this year. He got Tommy John in April. So he's not really going to be much behind, a healthy player they drafted, right? I mean, everyone, because the season's not going to happen, so he's just going to come back next spring-ish, you know, maybe a little after, so he might be a couple months behind, but he's not going to be far behind everyone, and as long as he comes back healthy, which the, the surgery was a great success, and they say he's already a little ahead of the game, uh, you know, we'll see. The Mets have always been very patient, more patient than other organizations with Tommy John, so we'll see how, how long they feel like waiting, but if he comes back healthy and good, you know, he, he certainly could be quick to the big leagues. And if if he did not get injured, JT Ginn would not have been available at 19 where the Mets took Pete Crow Armstrong. No chance. If he was healthy, he would have had another dominant year at Mississippi State, and he would have been a top 10, top 15 at worst pick. So benefit that they were able to land him at, at 52 where they, where they did, and they're prepared to go over slot to sign him. But like you said, two pitch mix at minimum with a fastball that will sit anywhere from 92 to 96. He's hit 98, 99. Uh, Slider, changeup still needs a little work. But once he, if he could hammer out that third pitch, and he's a high work ethic guy, if he could hammer out that third pitch and stay healthy, there's there's number two starter upside written all over this kid. So. Another big upside arm similar to Matt Allen and Josh Wolf from last year. So the Mets have added three premier talented arms in the last two drafts now. Uh, not all of them will work out, of course. It's, a, it's the nature of the beast. But they certainly put themselves in position to have some premier pitching going forward. And JT Ginn, like you said, certainly potentially at a much more accelerated rate than Allen or Wolf.
0: You mentioned uh, the VP of scouting Tommy Tanis, who's been around since Sandy Alderson. And when Chad McDonald left, he took his his uh, spot. They've had some real home run picks under Tanus. Now, the depth hasn't been there. That's probably one of the things that killed the Mets in, well, 16. They got Lugo and Gazelman. but 17 and 18, there was a lot of disappointing players coming up from the minors. You know, now you have the McNeil and the Alonzo. So maybe that was a little bit of a of a gap in drafting. Uh, in the middle of the Golderson uh, era, now the Mets farm system has been criticized mainly because of the Kelmick trade. But I think not only it wasn't as bad as everybody thought when Van Wagenen took over, but I think the last two drafts, at least from upside and high end, provide some real interesting, uh, you know, results that could come out of this uh, farm system in the next two to three, four years. Uh, Where is the farm system at? I hate to just put a grade on it because a grade is like anything else. It's our opinion. But let's be honest. When you know what a farm system is all about, about filling up the pipeline at the big league level and providing assets to trade to to compete and win. And let's face it, the Mets, whoever the owner is, I think you have to try to compete and win over the next three to five years because of the core of offensive players. Anybody who thinks this team should tear it down and rebuild, I just don't think is looking at how this core of offensive players, uh, they could get – really aged really quick you know five years goes by in a flash so this farm system yeah. could be a real asset i think on both of those fronts so where is this farm system at and do you agree with that you know assessment from me
3: yeah i mean right now I, I i think they're a middle of the pack farm in baseball um but that's improving over the last couple of years you know they obviously trade Kellnick, and that's a big name but they also trade away anthony kay and Simeon woods, woods richardson so they've traded a couple of prospects away, which certainly impacts like your rankings and how the overall system uh, looks. But the last couple drafts, these farm system rankings, everything you read, it's not about the depth. That's not what they're ranking. They're ranking how many top 100 prospects do you have? And then the people that just missed top 100, how many are from the organization, that kind of thing. And they're heading a position to have multiple top 100 type prospects, uh, their depth certainly needs a little work. Uh, we'll see kind of how last year's draft ends up really materializing beyond the top few players. But i put them middle of the pack right now, and, and they're, tra- they're trending upwards because of the philosophies that Tommy Tanis and Brody Van Wagenen, who certainly is involved in the process, Tommy and his great group of scouts, Mark Tremuda and that whole gang, uh, they do a great job of doing the reports, doing all the work and bringing that to the table to Brody. And it's an implementation of a organizational plan where Brody really said, guys, let's be aggressive here. You know, Matt Allen, JT Ginn, before Brody got here, you know, no offense to Sandy. And, you know, Sandy obviously was a good GM. He brought them to the Middle World Series, and I think he gets a little too much flack sometimes. But the Mets aren't signing and uh, drafting and signing Matt Allen and JT Ginn with Sandy Olerson at the helm. That's just not... Just not how it not was happening. happening. Yeah, no. it wasn't happening. Brody said, "Guys, let's be aggressive." And you know what? If especially in this, especially in this five-round format, I think it was much. It, I was surprised more teams didn't do it this year, just because five-round format. Just, I don't like to use the word punt because these kids certainly all deserve to get drafted. But you're taking kids that you just go, eh? You know, guys at the back end of the draft. If if they don't make it you know, kind of is what it is. We're banking on our top guys and worrying about if you're, you know, when it was a longer format, worrying about if your 11th round pick is going to make it, you know, if he does, that's awesome, but that rarely happens regardless, right? So let's focus on the first three rounds where the rate of finding major leaguers is so much higher. So let's, let's just get the best players we can in the first three, four rounds. And then, you know, everything else will, we'll trust our area scouts, which has brought much more involvement from the area scouts, which are making them happier because now, I mean, in the olden days, area scouts really didn't get to make picks, so to speak, until round 20. All right, back in the draft. Here you go. Hey, uh, Florida area scout, Rudy got? And all right, pluck him here. No problem. Now these area scouts are getting involved in the fourth, fifth round, which are valuable picks. So it, I think there's a lot of organizational happiness uh, right now in, in the scouting department. And I think Brody has made it feel very, you know, everyone's all included. So I think he's brought a good very... philosophy to it. And he's certainly not scouting, but he brought in a great nope. philosophy that they're all
2: behind.
0: That's a great point. Cause I think people forget. I think what Brody has done and what I think they wanted him to do is somebody that could really direct traffic there. Um, yeah. He's making decisions and, and, making trades but you know when you go back to Kelnick it wasn't just Brody saying trade Kelnick he asked other people i know for a fact Omar Manaya was involved in that so if you want to be mad about trading Kelnick be mad at Brody it's his call it's his team but Omar Manaya and i've heard and i'm wondering your thoughts on this that they could have put uh, Jimenez over Kelnick in that trade and they liked Jimenez better now whether that's true or not that's all hearsay you hear things second third hand but he really, like you just said, trusts his team. And in a lot of ways, having a GM uh, that's a former agent in an era of acrimony between players and ownership, I mean, this is a GM that didn't hold Pete Alonzo back for service time. He could have done it two weeks. Yeah. would yeah. Never got the home run rookie wreck Two weeks. Would it have changed the Mets season? Well, they had a lousy first half. How much worse could it have been? Two weeks, right? they could have had an extra year of Pete Alonso, but he didn't. Um, so I, I think that's important that there are people that he trusts. There are guys he plucked from the Red Sox organization that everybody would in any other organization would laud. Uh, it's not as bad as everybody thinks. Look, is he perfect? No. Does Do, do they like because he's uh, an agent and because he's salesy and because he's you know in shape and he has that slick look? Maybe that ticks a lot of guys off. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff going on here, Joe, and I think – they call me in the in the in the tank for the organization i'm not i just see good things am i off i mean and be honest if i'm off i'll i'll take it yeah. i just see a lot of good stuff not perfect but a lot of good stuff
3: right i no i actually agree with you i do see a lot of good stuff and when it comes to the kelnick trade you know he did lean on other people but you know i know there was way more that said don't trade kelnick than said do and you know i think brody just came in and felt I think he felt pressure that he had to come in as an agent because he was an agent and he had to come in and show that he could go make a major move. And he obviously had the longstanding relationship with Robinson Cano. So he trusted that Cano was going to be able to come in, be that veteran leader and really perform, which, you know, he had a good second half and he had a bunch of injuries, but, you know, we'll see kind of how it transitions the next couple of years. And Edwin Diaz was obviously at the time, the best reliever in baseball, which, Hey, newsflash! Stop overpaying to trade for relievers uh, because it's so volatile. But right. you know, I th- I think he just wanted to make a splash, and you can't fault him for that. But I think I, I would I would imagine that's something that it's a move that he kind of probably wishes he didn't make. But you know, he sure. came in guns a blazing, ready to go, and you can't fault someone for being aggressive. Uh, just wish wish he kept Kelnick. That's all. Um, but like you said, his agent background has been a massive help, especially in the draft because everyone was concerned. Oh, Brody. So Brody, uh, I, I heard Brody has a bad relationship with Scott Boris. So Mets are in trouble because they have some Boris clients. How, how, how's that going to work? How's he going to negotiate with Boris? Matthew Allen, Scott Boris, JT, Ginn, JT Ginn. Scott Boris and right. Brody got Brody got Boris on the phone last year in the at, after the first round and said, Hey, Matt Allen's something we have our eye on. Let's, let's talk and see, is there a number we could, you know, work out and if if we can agree and, you know, Boris certainly wants to get his kids paid. So if there's a number we could work out, we'll manipulate the rest of our draft to do it. That's no problem. And I think the same thing happened with JT. He probably said, Hey, Scott Brody again. Remember last year? Let's just – let's run it back, why don't we?
0: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but why Boris no, would be upset with Cody Van Wagen. No, no why would you no. be upset with them? I mean, why? Yeah. you have given your clients what they want, giving them um, yeah. uh, a, a gift here. And I'm not convinced, and this has been something, particularly Ken Davidoff of The Post perpetuates, that when and there will be an ownership change. Anybody who says they there's, – there's no doubt in my mind there will be an ownership change. What it looks like, when it happens, it's going to happen this year. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen this year. Everyone's like, well, Brody's gone. He did his work. Now we got to start over, blow it up. Anybody who buys a team who's a smart business person, unless they're immature and Steinbrenner-esque, just because they want to put their imprint on the team, and that is exactly what the fans are angry about with any other organization and what they think the Wilpons do. If they come in and rip this organization apart, from Brody through the scouting department, just to bring their own people in, which would be their right and could happen. But I don't think a smart business person would do that. They would evaluate. And I have a feeling, here's a guy that rose from a college player through an agency to a major agency to run a department. I keep reminding people, the guy wasn't just an agent. He ran a division. Just like Leon Rose over with the Knicks now. These are not guys that are dummies. These are not guys that just happen to be some agent working out of his office in some house somewhere around the country. These were big-time guys. He's going to be able to put himself in a position to say, hey, new owner, whoever it is, look what I've built here. Let's see it through. Now, if he doesn't win, he will lose his job, and he eventually will, like everybody else. I would not put it as a fait accompli that he's going to get fired when there's a new ownership group in there. And that's out there, Joe. You probably read it too, and that's not out there from blogs and from fans. That's major media personalities who, in my opinion, don't like him for whatever reason or because he's an agent. That's just absurd. It's utterly absurd in my my take.
3: Yeah, no, I don't think Brody should be dumped, you know, the second a new owner comes in. I agree with you from a business perspective. When I come in, okay, show me what your organizational plan is and what you're doing, what you have done and what your immediate plans are. Okay. And let's see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, Then, like you said, inevitably every coach, every general manager, every scout, every single one of them at some point in time gets fired. That's how it works in sports. Um, Unless unless you're perfect and win every year, you're you're eventually going to get fired. It's just how it works, and you know, so it'll inevitably happen to Brody. But I think he's earned the opportunity to get the shot with the new owners, and you know, we'll see who the owners are. Like you said, that's certainly going to play a role. But you know if it does end, ends up being Harris, you know the owner of the devils and the seventy sixers and his group, those guys have been lauded for their patience. that's one of their number right. one things is they put people in charge and they sit back and let it happen. you know the seventy sixers are most famous for trust the process where they went yep. into a rebuild um and they and they gave so much leeway for them to figure it out and now seventy sixers are obviously in a good spot in the n b a but if it were to be them. I think they'd be the types that would come in and say, well, okay, Brody, let's see what you got. We'll, we'll give you a little leeway. Maybe, it, maybe it's only a year. Maybe it's two years. But they'll give, they'll, give, they'll give them a shot if it's them. That's for sure.
0: One thing before we wrap up here that I think has to be brought up in this whole drafting and minor leagues that gets overlooked is development. And what came to my mind is I think the Mets have improved on development. I think development wasn't a strength necessarily. Maybe drafting under Omar Minaya was a strength, but because Tony Bernazard was running a lot of things, I'm not sure development was a strength back when the Mets were competitive under Omar up until Alderson took over. I think that's improved to a certain degree, And I and I go back to the story, and one of the things during this pandemic that has been a good thing is these conversations that, uh, you know, places like your outlet, SNY TV SNY.TV have had with guys like Louis Rojas, especially where you have Dom Smith and J.D. Davis being kind of these uh, social media stars of uh, conversation, but they talked about how they got Dom to see how his weight was an issue, and Dom admitting, and it was a knock on him when he was drafted, that this is not a work guy, this is not a, he wasn't considered a makeup guy, but here's a guy that has, in a lot of ways, he is a makeup guy, because he's improved, and he's, Uh, had a lot of uh, self-awareness, but they showed him his weight on video. They showed him how he looked and how he moved, and he took it to heart. And that's just one example of what development is all about. But I think they have some guys that can develop players and can take that talent and get them to whatever that ceiling is or whatever the best version, to use that corny term, the best version of themselves are. And I think it's all overlooked and I think the Mets have some of that going on now. I mean, do you agree? Cause that's so important. It's not just about drafting the kid and all right, Stratomatic, he's going to be here on this yeah. date. It's not, you got to develop. Yeah. This is a hard game, It's getting even harder.
3: It's a hard game. That's getting harder because of all the technology and information that's coming out. I know there's a lot of people that, you know, crap on analytics and you know, all that, but that's where the game's heading. I mean, You're able to quantify so many things and Brody is very much into that and has brought much more analytically driven people into the, into the trust there. And Ricky Meinold, who they added to be the new minor league pitching coordinator, someone that's very up on all that stuff, a younger guy. So he's going to be responsible for the development of the pitchers throughout the system. And like you said, development certainly has been better. Look at all the big leagues, big leaguers that are being produced and, Okay. Maybe it's not a bunch of all-stars, you know, McNeil and Alonzo. Certainly I think fans too often don't appreciate how hard it is for these kids to make the major leagues. It's not, it's not a given. All right. You were a high draft pick. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be in the bigs. That's not how it works. It's so hard. You go through so many different levels, so many long bus rides, uh, not great places that they're staying not great food that they're eating it's it is a trials and tribulations to make the major league so it's anyone who makes it deserves credit in my book and I I respect the heck out of everyone that that goes through what minor league baseball truly is Um, but the development certainly is is key like you said with Dom Smith what they did they worked so much with Brandon Nimmo to make him into the player that he is today just the development certainly trending upwards that that is a good thing i agree for sure and i'm excited to see what ricky meinhold will do with the pitchers because i was excited that they were able to bring him into the fold and certainly with jeremy hefner as a major league pitching coach now i think i think they're heading in the right direction with pitching because it's all about track man and rap soto and you know the buzz words like that and analytics and spin rate because that's i mean that's what you're looking for like spin rate is what makes that fastball explode you know, it's, it could be 94, but with the higher spin rate, that's how, you know, when they always say, wow, he throws 94, but it feels like he's throwing 98. Well, that's spin rate. That's what's making that happen. That's what gives it almost that rising action kind of thing. Um, so that's what it's all about. And spin rate, Lugo, certainly with the curveball, is a prime example. He has some of the best spin rates on his curveball. And it's a that's what makes it a swing and miss pitch. So, you know, that's, that's where it's headed. And unfortunately, because, uh, you know, certainly I come from, a scouting sort of background. Like, obviously, I'm not a scout, but I've leaned on enough, and I know what to look for. That I consider myself at least ability. I have the ability to look at it, but I'm open to hearing about all all this new information. And I think from a pitching perspective, they're a little more ahead of the hitting as far as what is analytically what the best move is for these pitchers. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 heading in the right direction, and they're staying with the times because the Mets at times have always kind of felt like they were behind the ball from everybody else. They're, they're slowly catching up.
0: Absolutely. It would be amazing if this stuff was around in uh, 2013, 2014, what they could have done with the original uh, aces with Wheeler and how much more quickly they could be uh, developed, Harvey, whatever. That's water under the bridge. So Joe, what do you got coming up? Uh, TV at PSL to Flushing on Twitter The seven-line events, I'm not sure we're going to see those this year, but you also write for the seven-line. What do you got coming up? Let the listeners know. Hopefully we'll have baseball in the next 30 days. I know that that's still very much as of uh, this conversation up in the air. I think we will have baseball. I don't think it'll be a season we'll like, but we're going to see something. But what do you got coming up? What's the rest of the summer and the baseball season look like for you?
3: Yeah, right right now, you know, just look for me covering these picks. Um, I'm certainly going to put out some articles and – some content about each of the draft picks that the Mets made, uh, just provide some more context beyond just what you kind of read on MLB pipeline or, you know, those great sources. Um, certainly we'll cover the undrafted free agents, but it's it's really going to be a lot more tweeting than writing at this point. Um, Cause unfortunately there's not, not a ton to write about, uh, you know, given the state of baseball right now, but yeah, no, just stay tuned to my Twitter and, you know, check sny.tv, check the seven line, and you know you'll you'll see some of my stuff pop up here and there. Looking forward to. I mean, it, it almost feels like almost a year off from writing in a sense, right? And it's kind I of know. a bummer, but yeah, you know, it's it's a little break. Uh, I but, dread you know, certainly. Yeah.
0: I dread I dread doing this show with a summerless baseball. How many more lookbacks of the '80s can we do? How many more? Of, I mean, it might be endless. Joe, it could be the endless off season. I mean, think about that. And yeah. part of me, I hate to say this, and you know, part of me says, what, what are we wasting our time here for? No fans, and this fans, possibly a restart and a stop, and and all this stuff going on in the world kind of bums you out on all this. But I think it's important to move forward, even in some capacity. But uh, part of me is just like, ah, is this really worth it? And I know that sounds horrible, and I'm wrong. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is just such an odd – it's history in the making. We'll look back in 20 years if we're doing this dopey thing 20 years from now and yeah. probably laugh, right, Joe, it's the way you look at it. Yeah, so,
3: yeah 2020, right, the year, that, the year that baseball kind of happened, right? I think that's what it's going to you know?
0: be. <laughs> yeah, J.T. Ginn's Hall of Fame speech. Remember when you were drafted in the middle of a pandemic and social unrest <laughs> and uh, labor strife? You all look back and laugh. All right, well, anyway, let's wrap up. Yep. Joe, thanks so much. You're the best. Uh, always appreciate you, a you coming a on. Mic. A long term friend. You've always been loyal to the show, and I never forget it. So be well, my man, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right?
3: All right. You too, Mike. We'll talk soon.
0: Take care. That's Joe DeMayo at PSL to Flushing on Twitter. SNY.TV. This guy knows his stuff. Forget about those big names, all these guys who claim to be the expert. Trust me. 20 years almost of dialogue with this guy and. He's never steered me wrong. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with final thoughts and more right after this. And enjoy the rest of the show. Alright, we're back. Final thoughts. Uh, I thought Joe DiMeo did a great job. I thought uh, we really broke down not only the draft, and like I said, these kids, you hear about them so many years before their career that they they become... uh, I mean, look at Steven Matz. He's been... He's been talked about in Mets circles since two thousand and nine, over a decade. That's for some of us that seems ages ago. Our, our lives are are so different. There's been so many players that have come and gone. I mean, think about where David Wright was as a, a in the Mets roster and his career. He's still very early in his career, and where he is now, he's retired. So it's amazing how. Um, you know how time flies, and and good stuff from Joe DiMaggio. Hey, before I uh, I go, I want to give a quick shout out. I mentioned in the opening that I've been on some podcasts, and there was a second podcast that I had mentioned last week uh, with Ari and Noah that I had a chance to uh, take part in. It's called the New York Baseball Podcast. You could go over to New York Baseball Podcast dot they got a whole bunch of podcasts up. I'm the most recent one. It's a two part interview. We get into the negotiations of the MLB Players Association and the owners. I talk about my foray into media. So they ask me some questions about that. We get into the Mets. So tons of stuff over there. New York Baseball Podcast, New York Baseball Podcast. Buzzsprout.com. Uh, Wayne Randazzo has been on the show. That's crazy. Uh, uh, Wes Helms. I mean, they've done a really good job. Uh, you know, former umpire Dale Scott, Fergie Jenkins, Hall of Famer. So uh, good, good, uh, good stuff from uh, the guys Ari and Noah, Ari Weiss and Noah Schneider. And I'm uh, humbled that I'm part of uh, that group. As I was uh, earlier this week, I was uh, on the program and uh, joining such luminaries like Wayne Randazzo and Fergie Jenkins. How how can I not be humbled? So. Good stuff. Check out their podcast. Go over to newyorkbaseballpodcast.buzzsprout.com, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Two young guys trying to make it in the business, and uh, for their age, very early in their uh, careers, very impressed with how they uh, did the interview, very impressed with their knowledge and how they conducted themselves, so I appreciate it. That was the interview. You won't see me. It was recorded on Zoom, so when I saw them, they were actually seeing me, and I was nervous that they were going to put the video up. I'm like, I haven't got a haircut in forever, and uh, geez, I wasn't prepared for this, but you just hear the audio. You just hear me. You don't see me. That's a good thing, especially now, since I haven't got a haircut in over 90 days, but anyway, good stuff. Check it out, and of course, you could check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You could send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. Send me an email, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. And, of course, you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Enjoy your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast pretty soon. Till then, be well, everybody.